0: Buckle that belt. The neighbor is already threatening to call the cops. He's pissed. If you get anxious, man, you just pop these little guys. People out here looking like Paul Feinbaum trying to tell us
1: what to do with our hair. In my overserved state, I went to the wrong house. No, it was the right house. Okay.
2: Dive bar means the beer is cold, the drinks aren't too expensive, and the hamburgers are great.
1: They are a unified front in doing their very best to keep me between the proverbial navigational beacons. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith podcast here at Outsider. I'm still trying to get my bubbles level after the PGA Championship, so I have the great Wesley Blankenship with his lip fur looking, I mean, that thing is sculpted like it belongs <laughs> in a Louvre. That, I mean, okay. you need to, we need to just find a, we need to go go find the uh, Mona Lisa down there in a the Louvre. And find a little spot right beside her, and take a picture of Wesley's lip fur, which I don't think we've named that thing yet. Is that uh, is that the Athens airbrush? What is that thing?
0: I think you just nailed it. I think you just nailed like that is the perfect name. It's got the uh, alliteration going. So we're good. When you're naming mullets
1: or lip fur, it has to be alliterative, if that's a word. It has to have alliteration. Otherwise, it's not as funny. Although, I do give Travis credit because Cam Smith's uh, blooming Onion is pretty good, and that doesn't have alliteration. Is there a Uh, mustache hall of fame? No, but, I mean, I bet we could start reeling Mm. them off. By the way, y'all, Travis with us as well, uh, posing very important questions here early on the Marty Smith podcast. Volume uh, 108. And if, I mean, if we were going Lip Fur Hall of Fame, I mean, Wes's first ballot right now, that thing, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's, I appreciate that the growth, it's not like Kudzu in the South in June. It's much oh, no. more, it's very well sculpted uh, as if you're in an, you're, you're stuck in an Olin Mills photograph from 1986 over at the Parisburg Baptist Church. You know, when you yeah. – Remember those Olin Mills photos you took with yeah, your mom and your Yeah, it's like the gray
0: airbrush yeah. kind of uh, backdrop. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every time that program came out every year, by the way, you wanted to thumb through there and see who had the best family pick. And sometimes you had to let your buddy know in Sunday school, hey, man, what, what was that shirt? Why – Why are you wearing that vest, man? Sometimes you just kept
1: on thumbing through because they were all so bad. There was it it was a serious toss-up. I remember ours very well. My mama one time, back in the eighties, man. Some of the eyeglass the eyeglass fashion. Holy (laughs) guacamole! I don't know. My dad's were like these huge squares. Who's the guy in the Rugrats who has this huge square glasses? Chucky. My dad. That was my daddy's glasses. (laughs) They took up three-quarters of his face, and then Mama had these humongous circle glasses that the, the arms of the glasses did not go straight back over the ears. They kind of did this like swoopy thing way down to the, to the like, jawline and then back up. Like What the hell were they doing? How drunk were the eyeglass designers in 81?
0: I think they've used a lot of those lenses now, recycled them and melted them down, and they're now the lens of several NASA telescopes. Yeah, They're that thick. My daddies were. There's no debating that. That guy was blind as a bat. But
1: <laughs> anyway, I'm licking my wounds a little bit. I can't lie. I'm on the rally train. I uh, had a phenomenal week at the PGA Championship down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know if you two have ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am thoroughly impressed. I had never been to Tulsa. When Tulsa, when I hear Tulsa, Oklahoma, I don't go, hell yeah, destination spot.
3: But, mm. well, first of all, you, you, you talk about my OCD and you just did one of the things that bother me. You didn't go down to Tulsa. What do you mean huh. I didn't go down to Tulsa? Well, you're in North Carolina. Down, you, if you go south, that's not to Tulsa. Are you a map expert? I hate when people say oh, I went up to somewhere and you didn't actually go up. You didn't go north.
0: Do you know who the host of this podcast is? I know, but it's Do you it's... think directions matter? Hold on a minute.
1: just 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 hold. He
0: can't on. he can't say I went over to Tulsa because that sounds like he's like just going over to the Piggly Wiggly or whatever. I went over to Tulsa. Yeah. That implies that he was only there for a little bit. Or I, he was there for I went to several Tulsa. weeks, I, I believe. I'm trying to get
1: what is this thing geographically
0: doing? I think he went.
1: I don't.
0: I, as down much as it pains me to Tulsa, as
1: much as it pains me,
0: Travis is right.
1: Uh, it 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 breaks my heart and takes a hell of a lot of humility to have to admit this, but Travis is right. Not Can only the not Can only is Tulsa not down. It, it looks like it's due west, but it actually might be a little bit northwest. So. Uh, I stand corrected. I, in, my, in my geographical mind, I've always thought Tulsa – I've always thought it was way down.
0: It is barely northwest of Charlotte. Travis, go to hell. Barely. All right. Now that
1: we've moved past that, I went Eat over it, to Travis. Tulsa. And, uh, <laughs> hey, man, it's a sneaky, cool little town, man. we – my butt uh, – I almost said well. You know you guys know Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR, seven-time NASCAR champion who will run his first Indianapolis 500 – this come a weekend. Uh, I'll be there to cover that event for ESPN. But Johnson found out I was in Tulsa. He has a house there. His wife, Chandra, is from Muskogee, the famous town that the great Myrtle Haggard sings about mm. in Okie from Muskogee. I'm reading a book about the Hag right now, too. And uh, Johnson texts me and goes, dude, you have to go to Bull in the Alley. Trust me on this. Go to Bull in the Alley. He even goes so far as to text me the menu of the restaurant, okay? So, first night I'm in town, last Monday night, uh, Tom Engel, Matt Garrett, Randy Heritage, and myself go over to the Bull in the Alley, and we sit at the bar. Let me tell you all something. This place is kind of like a speakeasy. You would never know it was there if you didn't know it was there. It is in the alley. It's these green doors that look like industrial, like the trash bin. But there's this little bull, I mean, it's probably like a foot long. It's like a, it's a metal, a black metal bull that hangs
0: above the door. So that's your indicator of that's the bull in the alley. So did you have to do like a secret knock or a password or something? No, you just open
1: it up and you don't know what you're getting. You open it up and you're like, am I looking in the damn trash closet here? But it was
0: amazing. That's cool in there. Looking at photos, now.
1: food was phenomenal. The bar, the bar at Bull in the Alley is built around a baby grand piano. The piano sits in the middle of the bar, and the liquor bottles are that's like the shelf for the liquor bottles. Super mm. cool. And this random guy comes in there on Thursday and Friday night and just beats the keys straight out of that thing. I mean, there's hammers flying Ooh. out of that damn thing. It's like singing Jerry Lee Lewis, Jerry Lee Lewis. So. It was a super cool experience to be in Tulsa. Uh, Y'all know with all
0: the drinks just on it. Yeah, the drinks are just right
1: on the piano there, and the food was awesome. Uh, All the boys got the fillet. I got the their their fish of the day dish was this salmon.
3: Of course, it was
1: this blackened salmon that was in this pure sort of sort of like red pepper puree. Mm. Off the chain. Can't
0: beat that Oklahoma salmon.
1: I wish I would have had it every night. But uh, anyway, phenomenal experience. They have this greenway in Tulsa that runs the entirety of the river. Miles and miles of greenway. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, Really neat downtown. A lot to do. A lot of different bars and restaurants that were cool and authentic. Not like... like, I, I want... When I go to a town, I always appreciate when the establishments are locally owned, authentic, and not chain. And so it's cool when they have that, and Tulsa had that all over its little downtown region. Another thing, Matty Ice, Matt Berry, the great TV's Matt Berry, one of my best friends and, and one of my best friends at the company, certainly. And we're walking around, and we had dinner at this place called Juniper And then we're walking around, and we happen upon this sign that had a, like, old-school movie marquee that just said, cold beer. And it was blinking (laughs) at us. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we're like, well, we got to go in there. So we go in there, and, y'all, we walk in the door, and there are two 95-year-old ladies just firing off lung darts. I mean, they were – they were burning the entire heater in one inhalation. Hundreds. And I looked, I was like, dude, I didn't know you could still smoke indoors anywhere. Then we walk over. I'm like, well, let's get one here. This place is dope. A lung dart? No, not a lung dart, a cold beer. Oh. <laughs> we go around the bar to get a cold beer, and they had a, they had a cigarette vending machine. Yes. When you know you're in the right place is when they have a cigarette vending machine. Oh yeah. However, Woo. Maddie and I lasted about ninety seconds and we said to hell with this. We couldn't handle it. I don't I can't do cigarette do smoke, man. Yeah. I can't handle it. Y'all can y'all handle it?
0: Uh I don't like sitting inside of an establishment where the smoke is just kind of hovering there. Like I don't that's be one thing that is totally foreign to me. Well, at least outside it can kind of waft away, but I can't believe that y'all used to just go into places. Like, I remember when I was a kid going up to, like, the Applebee's or whatever, there'd be a smoking section. You could kind of get a whiff of that, but it kind of blended in with the kitchen. But, like, imagine going to a bar. I, that's one thing that just doesn't compute with me. I going out to a bar all night and smelling like smoke when you come home and all your clothes smelling like it.
1: I should have told that knucklehead to call in because a uh, like – I'm telling you guys, we walk in and like it's this old, 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 old place. And I look over to my left and there's this like bar top table right inside the front door. And old girl is staring right at me, just abs, like just getting every last ounce of it. And I was like, okay, this is different. So we leave there. (laughs) We walk into another place that was recommended to us. Same thing more smoke. Then we found this yeah. place called Valkyrie. Listen. Let me tell y'all something. If you go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, bowl in the alley Valkyrie for nightcap. Coolest bar I've ever seen. They had they had a wall. So the bar the bar was long first of all, which is cool, and then they had a wall behind the bar that was backlit and it was like sealing the floor. I mean, it was The whole back of the bar, backlit, and all the bottles were lined up on this backlit
3: wall. It looked like stained glass with liquor bottles. So dope. All right, so I have an update on why they're still smoking in these bars. So Oklahoma law prohibits smoking in most indoor places open to the public. However, many establishments are exempt as long as they are standalone bars, standalone taverns, or cigar bars, and at least 60% of their gross receipts are from alcohol and low-point beer sales. Well, I can promise you that the, the place we went did. In fact, hold on, I can even tell you. It's
1: Arnie's Bar. Look there. Arnie's. That's the – remember I told you all about the cold beer marquee? There it is. Yeah. That's me and Maddie Ice seeing the light. That is our beacon in the night. It is our siren calling us home like the Iliad and the Odyssey. The sirens yeah. bringing Odysseus back home cold beer blinking that it blinks you can't tell it in that still photograph but it was blinking at us at arnie's bar huh had a great
3: time though sounds like y'all did a lot of work marty (laughs) are you have you warmed up from saturday yet though dude froze my ass off is that is that going to be the thing for every major this year (laughs) just on saturday it's it's cold. how do
0: you go from sweat towelling yourself out on national okay, T right, V one day that. to be in an icicle the next
1: I don't Oklahoma That's Tulsa, baby. the only answer I can give you Wesley is Oklahoma. I mean the first the first four or five days we were there, what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the first five days we were there, it was hot, like it was ninety five degrees and ninety five percent humidity. It just was awful. And I wore a suit the whole week. Which a lot of the golfers got a lot of uh, had fun busting my chops about, specifically Brooks, Kepka and P. Reed, they loved giving me down the river about it. But uh, then Saturday, it completely shifted and was freezing cold. And I was standing on the driving range for seven hours on Saturday and Sunday, shivering. It was super weird, but <laughs> that's Oklahoma. I mean, you just never know. i i I was taken aback by it but local oklahoma locals were like marty welcome to oklahoma buddy so yeah that was crazy (laughs) but it was a very it was an awesome week and my role was to interview people i mean that was my role the entire week i did just a little bit of reporting but every single day i was interviewing guys uh monday tuesday it was a lot of looking ahead um getting the feel of the course kind of interviews with all the stars. Thursday, Friday, I did post-round interviews. And uh, Saturday, Sunday, I, uh, actually Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, I did driving range interviews the whole day. And so spent a lot of time with the players, getting their perspective. I'm grateful, grateful to those guys, man. So many of them would stopped and would stopped and offered an interview. And they don't have to do that. That's not in there. They don't have to do that. And some of the guys, like Brooks Kepka and Patrick Reed, Xander, Shoffley, uh, Victor Hovland, those guys, it's, it's a, it's a non negotiable, I don't do media before a round. But even though that's their personal rule, every one of them came over and dapped me up before they walked to the driving range and had a conversation, which I just think is the coolest. And it means so
0: much to me that
1: they would take that time.
0: And so. So, so sorry, you've, you've seen a few of these majors now, man. Can you ever tell on the driving range, has there ever been one where you've laser focused on a guy on the range and you just knew that guy's got it this week? No. I, I, no, I, I can't look. I because can't some it. people try to do that. I, I, can't,
1: I can't do that. I can't tell you that. I mean. They all look good on the range. It, it, they're pros. It, it, and, and, you know, you can you can look at how people work, and there are differences in the way that these guys do their thing. Like, I, where I was standing in order to get guys, like on Wednesday, excuse me, I stood uh, right at the entrance to the range because I wanted to get guys as they were exiting – to go play their final practice round, whereas in the same spot on Saturday and Sunday, you're trying to get them as they're coming to work because they sure as hell ain't stopping when they have a tea time to go get. So I'm standing there on Wednesday. I'm stalking Brooks Koepka. Um, Man, that that dude is the truth. I just think he's the coolest damn cat. And I I asked him uh, there on Wednesday. He stopped, said, what's up? And my first question to him was, like, he's Mr. Major. That guy, he's won four major championships. He's won a PGA championship twice, back-to-back, I think in 18 and 19, maybe 19 and 20, I forget. But I, I asked him, you know, what is it about your attitude, your preparation, your approach that is so conducive to success on the grandest stages? And I loved his answer. The more difficult it is, the more I like it because it separates great from good. And that's just – that's everything. That is major championship golf and encapsulated very succinctly. And so I I, I say all that rambling to say how grateful I am to those guys. I mean, I just want to take a second, too, to Rory McIlroy. Travis has been around Rory a little bit, too, so he he sees the person. There are certain guys in sport that are – the absolute pinnacle of their profession. Rory is a first ballot World Golf Hall of Famer. He's the masters away from winning the career Grand Slam. Poor guy, he's so damn tired of hearing about it, but that's just the truth.
0: Yeah, if anyone can hear it over and over again, though, and deal with it, it seems to be like it's Rory. You will never find anybody. Like, I, th- I know I
1: talk about Jimmy Johnson a lot on this podcast, and that's because he's one of my best friends on the planet. But his kindness, his, his professional resume is historic. First ballot Hall of Famer. But the man, the husband, the father, the friend, I probably know 20 people that would call Jimmy Johnson their best friend. <laughs> because he just has that effect. There are certain people that walk into a room and make every person in that room feel like the most important person in that room. That is a damn difficult trait to have. Jimmy has it, and Rory McElroy has it. R- Rory McElroy is a guy that I am great I admire so much and I'm so grateful for, because he always gives me time. Always. And I just can't, in my job, in the profession that I am blessed to have, that is credibility. Because when the best in the world take the time, that benefits ESPN. And it's just – it's hard to encapsulate the value of that. And I'm just so full of gratitude to all those guys who have done that for me because they're doing it for me. And I appreciate it. Um, back to
3: back to the heat. How many sweat towels did you go through for the record?
1: I didn't realize that my sweat towel was going to become like a – one guy, one guy on the course walks over to me, and he goes, dude, where's your sweat tile? That thing belongs in the World Golf Hall of Fame. Um, I didn't realize that I was – obviously, I, they, so a lot of people may not even know what the hell we're talking about. On Friday, I think it was, Travis, what day was it? Do you remember? It was Friday. It was 99 degrees out there. Um, I was doing post-round interviews, and I was waiting on Justin Thomas – who after his second round, he shot back-to-back 67s, and uh, I was going to do Justin's post-round interview. And so I'm standing there waiting on him to sign his card and walk into our interview tent. It was so hot. I couldn't stop sweating. They put these super bright lights in our faces to really really light us up. And those lights are 2,000 degrees. And so it's just, imp- I'm wearing a suit, impossible not to sweat. So my the awesome group that I was working with throw me this microfiber towel. And I start, like, wiping my face, dabbing my face with it to try to get some sweat away. And I wind up on the national broadcast wiping my face off. And I have no idea. Like, <laughs> not I literally,
0: of course. I was listening to the tournament while I was working and I didn't realize that that happened there was like this awkward silence where I could tell like okay they're having some issues switching back and forth in the truck or whatever I didn't realize until I went back and I guess got a text from somebody or someone pinged me on Twitter and they were like get get control of your boy he's he's wiping his face off on TV I'm like what what is Marty doing and I realized you had the microfiber towel and uh, just from cleaning up spills around the house, Marty, I got to tell you, the microfiber is not the key to soaking up moisture. No. So it might have actually been your worst enemy in that case.
1: Well, I needed a tourniquet. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I, I was like that. They needed
0: to wrap you up in butcher paper like a brisket.
1: What's that, what's that mean <laughs> where the, the sweat just keeps dri- like dripping off of that guy yeah. or whatever? key what? and peel. Yeah. <laughs> and so – Anyway, long story short, wind up on TV, and I didn't know about it until – it might have even been Laney. I don't remember what happened, but – because, as you guys know very well, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. And so I find out about it, and then once I found out about it, I get a phone call from uh, – oh, that's how I found out about it. I get a phone call from my producer at ESPN. And he's like, I need to talk to you about something. Uh, you were on TV uh, accidentally, <laughs> and I went, oh, gosh. uh Uh-oh. Like, what – did I, like, say a bad word? Did I grab myself? Did I, like, pick my nose? Did I fly the bird? It's a friend – like, did it, what happened? He's like, oh, no, nah, man. All you did was just wipe some sweat off your face. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I don't
0: care. Burying the lead there, pal. But – Anyway, uh, well, it's hey, fine. if you were talking to Justin Thomas, though, then maybe you were his lucky charm with that towel. Maybe you should mail it to him.
1: I don't think I had a damn thing to do with it, but what a performance! I mean, what? Look, man, to uh, unprecedented performance, Roll Tide to uh, to come back from seven shots down by playing your game, by demanding of self that you can't control. The outcome of this from Mito Pereira's perspective you can't control the outcome of this from Will Zalatoris' perspective what you can control is go low for yourself and when he shanks it off a six out into the wilderness and bogeys that whole moment morning, he told Gene Wojciechowski Gino does a great job with the Sunday conversation uh, post round interviews and he told Gino that you know, after he shanked that, like, to, to, to come back and bogey that with where he, his tee shot landed? And then to
0: just have Hits the, that putt uh, from, like, two miles away. What
1: about driving the green during the playoff? I mean, he not – you talk about a piss missile. I mean, hmm. he – not that's, that was amazing. And to hear the roar of the crowd when he did that, he had, he had the crowd. Uh, he's one of those guys – Justin's one of those athletes, man. Fans love that guy. He competes with a ferocity that is infectious. And a lot of people, you know, that narrative had started, you know, he won the PGA Championship in 2017. He hasn't won a major since. And he said himself at Augusta National Golf Club back in April, I have underperformed and underachieved in major championships. And I brought that up on on Friday afternoon. I said, you have said yourself, you told us at Augusta National that you believe you've underachieved, under so what does back-to-back 67s do for your confidence as you head into the weekend, given that context? There's a lot of golf left to be played. Anything can happen. He said, but, you know, I'll, I'll take a couple more, and what, I think, what did he shoot Sunday? I think he shot 67, I think. And so just a tremendous performance by him. Jay Billis, I did a podcast a minute ago before we came on here, and Jay Billis asked me about, as an interviewer, would I rather interview Mito after that round or Justin Mm. after that round? Because he's like, I've never met anybody that loved to get to the human emotion like you do. And everything's context. Every golf tournament's different. Every event's different. But in that context, I would think I would rather interview Justin. Because – I just would love to have had the opportunity to set him down
0: right in that emotion. It would have been cool. But, cr- but, but credit to Mito for talking stud, afterwards. Man. Uh, Owned it, man. Yeah, I, I hated to see that. One more thing about Justin, the dynamic he has with his dad is so cool. Because I read leading up to this PGA Championship that he was, you know, he wasn't hitting the ball very well at the range. He was like hitting a lot of awful shots, and his dad just said, "Hey, cool it. Just take a deep breath." told him some things about his swing, and got him back on track. And, you know, that, that's pretty unique on tour, I feel like, where someone's dad is, is that involved and that, uh, that sharp and actually capable of helping him out. But I hated to see Mito do that, and I, I'm not going to lie, like I felt like watching him on top all weekend was not the best thing for him because in a moment like that, there was bound to be someone like Justin that was going to charge and then to have that tee shot on 18, that's what majors are made of, unfortunately, as well, is uh, the guys that can't handle it. But
1: yeah. I, 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 My prayer for him is I hope he comes back and gets one, and I would love if he got it this year because that's the kind of thing – that that highlight will be played over and over and over and over and over. And he did a great job. To Travis's point, he had tremendous grace. He owned his failure and – uh, his mistakes uh, as, a, as a player, but you can't know the stage and you can't know what comes with the stage until you're on the stage. And it's it's a lot more, and I'm, I say, I'm not saying this like I, I'm sitting here pretending like I know that pressure, but having heard other players say it, I've heard enough people say it that I feel like, It's fair to, like, you can't understand what that is until it's you. And charging as somebody who is chasing the lead is a much freer way to compete than a guy that's trying to hold on to or uh, preserve the lead. And so... I was really impressed by Mito's response um, and his grace in that moment. And I couldn't have been more impressed with the way that Justin just turned it up. And Will Zalatoris too. He's one of those guys, Willie Z's going to win a lot of races. Uh, races. He's going to win a, <laughs> lot of, uh, a lot of golf tournaments, man, because he's one of those dudes that when it's major championship time, he's always
0: there. Hitting it off the freaking <laughs> pavement. I mean, come on, bro. That was dumb. I couldn't believe that. I, he made it look so
1: simple. He, made, he just <laughs> made sound. it look so pedestrian. And he, what he, he hit it to 10
0: feet, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Went up and down. The sound that his wedge made hitting that path was just sickening, though. It's not a natural sound in the game of golf, but it worked. He made it work for him. But
3: the, the difference is for him, he's not worried about ruining that club because he can get 20 more no he's the got next a couple week, more unlike everybody the playing at their house. local municipal golf course and they're worried about their
1: clubs thoroughly impressed with him uh, I, I wrote his agent a text and i was like dude i'm just so impressed with that guy and i i really think his is coming soon because he just has that there's those guys that when it's major championship time or it's playoff time, I've heard uh, my colleagues at ESPN talking about Jimmy Butler the last couple uh, of days and weeks about when it's a random, you know, game against the, you name it, Timberwolves or whatever on December twenty eighth, Jimmy Butler's going to get you twenty, and he's going to defend a little bit, but when it's Game five against the Boston Celtics in the NBA final or NBA uh, Eastern Conference Finals, he's going to get you 40, and he's going to shut somebody down because he just he turns it up a
3: a notch. And well, well, that's why I think Brooks Kepka is that way because a lot of these dudes are they grew up as athletes playing other sports, so they kind of have that mentality of if it's a random golf tournament, they they're just not on it as much as when it's the major, they put the athlete mode on. Yeah,
0: I mean Brooks been on the record saying that before well, that that's just how he plays his game i love it am i can't believe
1: that i have the opportunity and the blessing to get to be a part of what espn does in that realm and just just uh it's humbling every time um and um also want to just take a minute to say thank you so much to dawn wind chandon hudgens and rebecca preston those three individuals are operations folks for ESPN who allowed me to get home on Sunday night where I could be here for Vivian's 10th birthday. And I, I, I'll tell you that story. Graham's not here yet, right? No, you keep going if you want. Coming up, Happy guys, birthday, Viv. Uh, coming up, we have IndyCar star, Graham Ray Hall, a friend of the show, a friend of Travis's, and a friend of mine. He's an Ohio State Buckeye, so he and Travis are brethren of the Columbus cloth, and uh, he's just a great American in every way. Uh, and we had his father-in-law on last week. God, we should ask, remember, let's ask Graham about what Thanksgiving dinner is like with John Forth, holy Spirit.
3: I want to know what what it's like when you ask John Forth for... uh, To marry his his daughter? daughter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 30 minutes later, uh, he's
1: still yelling at you. But uh, I can't wait to chat with Graham. The Indianapolis 500 is coming up this weekend, and Graham has been oh so close. So, can't wait to chat with him, but... uh, I was standing on the driving range Sunday morning waiting on Rory McElroy to walk over the stairway from the practice green to the driving range. I have this energy inside me that I know I'm like 90 minutes away from walking out of there and going to the airport in Oklahoma City to fly home so that I could be here for Vivian's birthday. As I'm waiting on Rory, my phone buzzes in my pocket. Pull my phone out, and it's that dreaded American Airlines app that says flight such and such OKC to Charlotte is canceled. We are working to rebook you now. I said words on that driving range at an audible level that was unacceptable for professional golf tournament. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it because it's this uncontrollable aspect over which you, you, you literally have no say. And so I called ESPN's travel department. I was on with them for 20 minutes. They were trying. They couldn't really help me out very much. So Dawn, the, one of the ladies I mentioned a moment ago, they find out that I'm going through this, and they immediately... Hop on it. And, I mean, they made it. This is the middle of the – I mean, this is – the Tournament golf is already – the championship golf is being played on Sunday. And these ladies dropped everything, all three of them, to get on the Internet and feverishly effort to get me home to my daughter's birthday. And they found me a flight from Northwest Arkansas Airport, which is Fayetteville, Arkansas which was two and a half hours away from Tulsa or whatever, through Atlanta to Charlotte on Delta. I'm an American Airlines guy, and because I live in Charlotte, it's a hub. But I didn't care if they put me on a tin can. If it got me home, I was doing it. So I was so grateful. I get in an Uber. I'm taking the Uber from Tulsa to Northwest Arkansas Airport. This guy drives me down a damn dirt road, y'all. A dirt road. And I'm like, is he bringing me out here to off me? Like, what the hell's going on here? (laughs) I'm like, I got my fist balled. Like, I'm like, I don't know what this guy's doing. But ultimately, we get to the Northwest Arkansas Airport. My planes are on time. Was
0: it Marty Bird?
1: It was not Marty Bird, even though it could have been. It looked like it. And uh, I get home in time to take my family to Andy's Custard. Right over here, we celebrated Sweet Vivi's 10th birthday, and she was super pumped. And I want y'all to know God God has a way of, y'all have heard about God winks. I got one at the Northwest Arkansas Airport. I am sitting there. I make it on time. I get through. My flight's on time. Everything's cool. The fact that I'm sitting in middle seats, I don't give a hoot. I get a cold beer. They got this cold beer in that airport, because we've been there to cover a lot of Arkansas Razorback stuff, Woo Pig. They got this, like, raspberry wheat beer that's local to Arkansas. Damn, it's good. Refreshing. So I got (laughs) me a tall boy of those. As I am sitting there, look at this. God is funny. I get grabbed on the shoulder. And who's going on a cruiting trip but the great Barry Odom. Dio, the defensive baby. coordinator for the Arkansas Razorbacks, who y'all may not know is like a brother to me. And we sat there, and they, he was going to recruit some kid in Vegas. And sure as the day is long, I just had to sit there and laugh because he made my whole day. God's good. Thank you for that blessing, Lord. Um, I, uh, As we're waiting on Graham to join us here, I want to – I just saw my own hat in the, uh, in the shot here on the Zoom machine. Or what do we call this thing, Travis? What do we use? Uh, we use Riverside. Riverside. All right, down there, huh? And I, lo- I like this hat a lot. This is a brand new hat that we have in the Outsider store. Go to s- store.outsider.com.
0: Shop. It shop. It shop. What is it? Shop.outsider.com.
1: So go to shop.outsider.com. The, the, the model that Wesley's wearing is our OG uh, first hat we ever had at Outsider. Mine is one of the brand-new models. We have six brand-new brand hats in the store. Y'all should go check them out. Please do, shop.outsider.com. This one, by a substantial margin, my favorite of the new run. I love how clean it is. I love white hats and white shoes and this is white on white i think it's super dope so i'll be wearing this one a lot all right he's here it's a honor and a privilege to welcome my homeboy the great graham ray hall to the marty smith podcast um first of all let's go ahead and get this ohio state mess out of the way uh Graham asked me before he came on there if the Bucks are going to be any good. The answer is yes and hell yes because they're ticked off. They got beat by uh, the Michigan Wolverines. Graham, anytime I can say Michigan Wolverines to piss off Travis, I do it. Uh, they got beat last year in the game. And uh, I think C.J. Stroud, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and all the boys are going to have a tremendous – overwhelming, indescribable vendetta to avenge that loss this year and uh vie for a national title. They're gonna be really good, brother. Good morning.
2: Good morning. I hope I hope you're right. I uh yeah, last year I uh man that the game the game day was about as uh as bad of a day as I've had in years. So uh I had more beverages on that day than I than I've had in a long time. So I'm definitely not looking forward to uh, to hearing all the Michigan BS that I'm going to have to listen to when I go up to the Detroit race in a week or so. But uh, I hope they're I hope they're stout, man.
1: Well, let's uh, let's let's talk, Andy, man. This is one of the Graham I say all the time, and and I'm I'm blessed enough to get to cover a lot of these. I think there are five American sporting institutions that transcend their sport. The Super Bowl does the, uh kentucky derby does the masters does the daytona 500 does and absolutely the indianapolis 500 does so a lot of people watching and listening will have never experienced what that day is encapsulate that day for especially for a guy like you who grew up in it literally from birth
2: yeah i think you know that day uh it's it's a special day in the sense that uh well, it's the world's largest, you know, single-day sporting event. Um, you know, Marty, I think this year we're going to see over three hundred thousand show up. Uh, ticket sales, grandstand ticket sales, up around thirty thousand tickets. Think wow. about that number. When you think about the size of the atmosphere, people, you go, "Oh, thirty thousand is not that much." You think about it compared to that's bigger than any any NHL stadium. You know, that's bigger than you know most what. Uh, even even a lot of NFL stadiums, that's probably half capacity. Mm-hmm. changed just in, in in that. So, you know, we uh, we're excited to have everybody back. I think post COVID too. Sure, last year we had some 135,000 supposedly. It looked a lot more than that to me. But you know, <laughs> this year uh, this year to have everybody back, the whole theme's been back home again in Indiana, and I think it's 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 shaping up well, man. We're gonna have a nice race day. It's supposed to be pretty toasty, uh, pretty warm. Um, But that day is all about tradition. That day is also all about transcending your sport. Uh, You win that day; it changes your world. It changes your life. Um, You know, I tell people all the time. You know, my dad won everything he could win. Won three championships. Yet they never say Bobby Rahal, three-time IndyCar champion. Correct. They always say 1986 Indy 500 champion. Just is what it is. So, you know, even for the greats, you know, Michael Andretti, for instance, you know, he's one of the all-time greatest drivers, American drivers that there is, right? We never won the Indy 500 and that gets brought up constantly. I'm sure he's sick and tired of hearing about that, but this, this race can change your world. And uh, we've been close before, man, you know that, and hopefully we'll be able to do it this time around.
0: How much have you allowed yourself to visualize what it would be like to win? And how much does it still uh, motivate you 15 times in now to get that done?
2: Oh, I mean, motivates me more now than ever before. Cause I know the chances, the opportunities remaining, uh, are less than the opportunities that we've had. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying, we're trying as best we can, you know, to make it happen. Last year was so close. Um, you know, we've, we've been close before. I mean, finishing third twice and, you know, running up front that each of the last, I would say four or five years, we've been in the hunt come the end. The end results may not show that. I mean, 2019, tangled with Bordé, trying to pass him uh, for third or fourth with, you know, 20 to go. I mean, you got to make that move. You've got to try in, in that position in the race. You know, last year really being, you know, few, from a strategy standpoint, having everybody completely beat was tough to uh, t- to have a mistake and, and to not finish. when the wheel fell off there for us. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just as motivated as ever. If not more than ever, and um, you know, anytime's a good time to win the Indy 500. But this weekend <laughs> sounds particularly good.
1: 500 miles is so long, and so much can happen. You might have the best car for 480 of them, and then it just you know goes. To what does it take? Like, what? Walk us through what it takes to finish 500. But then to be there in that last run, after that last pit stop, to actually have the opportunity. You, have, you just said it a moment ago, you have been so close. So you're, you're right there in knowing exactly what it takes to win it. Define that for us.
2: Well, I think um, it's all about preparation throughout the race. You prepare before the race to put a good car on the track to go racing. However, we know as, as the race develops, uh, the track changes. We know it's going to get more difficult. We're looking at potentially 90 degrees on Sunday. Hmm. This new track surface, the sealer that they put down, really hot, very dark, very black on, on TV. I think Roger likes it because it looks good on TV. <laughs> uh, but the downside of that is it's super toasty um, in the cars. And, uh, you know, we need to put ourselves in the best place and tune tune all day, whether that be front wing angles, whether that be rear wing angle, which we can adjust, whether that be tire pressures and our roll bar settings and things that we can change in the car. We've got to make sure that we're prepared and we're ahead of the game. So when it comes lap, what 170 is about when your last stop is going to be 165, 170, Then when you make that stop, not only do you come out up front, which you need to do, you need to come out, you know with only a guy or two ahead of you, uh, but also just that you're, 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 you've got uh, all of the right changes, all of the right aerodynamic settings to be able to go if you need to. And that's the one thing, you know, we can adjust the downforce level, right? So we can take the guys during a pit stop, which is amazing that in a seven-second pit stop, they can get rear wing in or out, uh, but you want to make sure come the last day. If you're running up front, you need to be pulling some downforce out. You need that sucker to fly. You know, and so we've got to make all the right calls. Trust me, I've taken downforce out in years prior, and it did nothing but kill us. You know, we, we actually went slower. And so we need to be prepared. Uh, you know, like I said, that last stop that we need to make the right changes and, and that those are those are thought out, that <laughs> we, do, we do the right stuff. Because you can do nothing but kill yourself, you know, as far as your competitiveness if you go the wrong way. Um, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Graham I miss seeing David Letterman on TV can you take people behind the curtain of what it's like to work for that guy is he more serious when it comes to this professional side of this new endeavor he he has in his life or does he keep it on a pretty even keel is he he always funny
2: no he's I mean the guy's always pretty even keel I, I think you know really this is a passion project for him you know he he grew up in Indianapolis and uh, you know, was on the on the start as a weatherman here. Went to Broad Ripple High School, right down the street here, uh, to to be an owner in the Indy 500, to have the chance to win the Indy 500, which he's done twice as an owner now. You know, that was all a kid from Broad Ripple could dream of, and here he is. You know, so we hear from him. We'll see him this weekend, clearly, uh, but we hear from him often. You know, throughout the, the the you know practices and qualifying and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, Dave is in touch. He's he's not, you know, transparent. He's not a ghost here. He's he's. He's involved, heavily involved, um, you know, but he's a guy that this was, you know, to have the opportunity to own a team and to be able to be here competing is, is something he always dreamed of as well. So, you know, I think we're fortunate with all of our owners, clearly my dad being one and uh, Mike Lanigan, David Letterman, that, you know, all of them, this was kind of a, a dream someday, um, you know, even for dad beyond driving himself, where would that take him? And that was the ownership, you know, for Mike Lanigan, you know, Mike, he's our, the other owner. You know, he grew up selling selling uh, heavy equipment down the street, living in Speedway as a, as a teenager, um, you know, in, in the 60s and in early 70s and heard the cars go around day after day. And his dream was, hey, someday I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to be able to – I'm not going to be able to drive, so I'd like to be able to own a team. And, you know, he's been able to do it in 2020. He finally got a win with Takuma, uh, which was a great day. So it's uh, – you know, for all these guys, it means a lot.
1: What is Thanksgiving dinner like with John Force? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know.
2: I don't. I don't know how to uh, properly. What you see is what you get. But, you know that everybody always says to me, "Man, is that guy like that?" There's no way he's like that all the time. I'm like, well, I hate to break it to you, but it's probably <laughs> – probably worse. than personal. life <laughs>
1: What break. a lunatic, dude. How did you call that man when you were going to call that man and tell him, hey, bro, look, you're a legend. I, but but I am in love with your daughter. I want to marry your. How the hell does that conversation go?
2: Well, I told him or I asked him, I should say the day that we left on vacation that I was planning to ask her <laughs> because I knew that he would tell her.
0: Yeah, that guy's not keeping any secrets bro Oh,
2: terrible the worst the worst he does not he he can't help but talk so i was like well and my mother-in-law agreed laurie was like yeah don't don't you know just tell him like right before so we went to breakfast and then i went like two hours later to the airport to leave and uh because i knew that that would you know that, that that would make it hard for him to get it out in time but uh but you know uh Oh yeah, I got stories, dude. I don't know if they're for on air, but I've got plenty of stories that I could tell.
1: One, give us give us the definitive that, that you can tell
0: on air
2: about <laughs> what, that. Guy. What was we, your
0: welcome to John Force moment?
2: Oh boy. Um You know, I would say the, the uh the first thing I would say the, the funniest part of John was when you know, like in the early, you know, the first year really that we were together, he was already negotiating with me on when we were allowed to get married or when we could have kids because you know he needed his rock star in the car and he needed that sponsorship <laughs> oh. And you can't do this until this time. And so it was always very business driven as you could imagine. Business decision <laughs> um, for sure. The, 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 the uh, Christmas conversations can get rather overwhelming sometimes. Having said that nowadays, you know just I it's he knows me better now so you know he he can tell when I've had enough elicited so I just move on
1: at what point like Dixie Scott Dixon just drove two hundred and thirty five miles an hour average for four laps you guys are absolute lunatics yeah when does that feel normal like how does how does that become normal
2: well <sighs> I th- you know, I think it'd be best asked of Jimmy, actually. You know, for guys like us, we've been qualifying at Indy for a while now. I'm not going to say it ever feels normal because it doesn't. Even Dixie, is- you know, I talked to him, and he's like, oh, dude. Like, it felt, you know, super quick and whatever. But, but at the same time, Marty, I mean, those Ganassi cars are on rails this week. Yeah. I mean, all of them. And I don't know what they're doing or why they're so fast. But – you know, like you watch the majority of their qualifying runs and they don't even they don't even look like they're trying, you know, compared to most everybody else who's sliding around. And that's the thing. You know, the fastest cars are often and, and everybody always brings up this quote from Mario about if you're if you're you know, what is it? If, if everything feels under control, you're not going fast enough or something. See, I actually don't agree with that statement at all. I think at Indy and Dixon will tell you this or, or Erickson, and uh, for them. You know, frankly, I think that uh, those cars were, were so quick. They were on rails and, you know, looked pretty under control. But to me, I was telling somebody the other day, like when you go from qualifying horsepower, from race horsepower level to qualifying, you know, when you enter turn one at 241, 242, whatever some of those guys do versus entering turn one. And all you're seeing is a wall, right? The intensity is high because it's it's. It's a sharp. Yeah, people turn. have to understand you know, it's a
1: sharp, it's, a, it's a ninety degree turn when these guys are going into turn yeah, one at two fifty. They're
2: yeah no it's it's ninety it's all nineties. I mean all you're seeing is the fence right in Grandstands in turn one. But when you go in there at two forty one or two forty two versus going in there at two thirty, that's a big difference. I mean it yeah. flat out visually is a big difference. I think I was talking to Jimmy about it. You know I think that's something that he experienced in his qualifying round. He's turning thinking oh I got it I got it I got it and then realize oh. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. Like now, I'm way offline, and now I'm going to hit the fence. But it takes the brain to, to, to catch up to that extra speed. Things just happen so quickly, makes it pretty tough.
1: How do you define what he's doing, Graham? What Jim? What, what Jimmy's doing is is unbelievable.
2: Great preparation. Great preparation and great opportunity. Um, you know, to steal a line from Herb Brooks, right? From Miracle. Yep. Um, but I think with with jimmy the guy puts all the effort in um and i think it's no secret not to take anything away from him. but he's in the best cars this month which is when i say great opportunity but he's going to be a force on sunday i think the biggest thing for jimmy is going to be to understand and he'll tell you this the flow of the race it's going to be to understand the pace it's going to be to understand traffic it's going to be to understand uh, how to minimize mistakes, marbles, things like that, that the cup guys don't see quite as much because, you know, cup, they're running two or three lanes wide, you know, here at Indy, the lane is, is very, very fine line. You know what I mean? And if you're six inches, eight inches too wide, that could be day over. Those are the things that, you know, he's going to have to learn as he goes, but he knows that. I mean, he knows that. So, uh, um, you know, we'll see. I think there's a lot of guys. You know, Callum Ilon, super fast car, man, super fast car. He's going to be – if he can drive with his head, you know, smartly, which he's a smart racer, I'm just saying, it's his first 500 miler. If he can put it all together, he's going to be in contention. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see.
0: Does someone ask you guys ahead of time what kind of milk you want in case you win, or is it just a yes. standard issue – Two percent.
2: No, you you can apply. You can eat whatever you want, except chocolate milk is not an okay. option. So not the track an option. can be they, dark, they, but not the milk. Got it. But you can get buttermilk, two percent, buttermilk, <laughs> whatever you want, whole. You can get it all. They so, fill out a they uh, fill out
1: a sheet. There's like a sheet. It's like a sushi order. That, that that yes.
2: Yeah no, and of course they film it and everything else. But yeah you you fill it out and you have to sign it at the bottom that you you approve of your choice and it's there and ready for you they
0: do like almond milks or uh oat milk no none of
2: that no come it ain't on starbucks come buddy oh <laughs> no, no come on now. uh the real deal baby well
1: we appreciate your time brother we know how uh slammed you are this month i can't wait to see i'll be up there on thursday morning Awesome. I'll come by and say hi, and we'll uh, take a picture of our middle fingers and send it over to Travis. And uh, <laughs> and uh,
2: Tra- Travis,
3: good, do, man. do you want to share any last uh, parting words with your Ohio State brethren? I just want to say, go win one for the Buckeyes and uh, go get us one.
2: Hey man, your your shirt is legendary. <laughs> Those two beasts, man. They're gonna
3: wreck shop this year. Those
2: two are. If if old Larry Johnson lets them run, those boys are gonna have them a hate. Who is the
1: daughter. greatest? All right, who is the greatest Ohio State Buckeye ever? Graham Ray
2: uh, Brian Hartline. Well, yeah. Wow. In
1: terms of crutin, no. you ain't wrong, son. You, I mean, that is a crutin machine.
2: Just because, just because he's come full circle now, and I, first off, he's a friend, and he's a great freaking dude. Uh, when he was down in Miami, and so I like, just always been a great guy, but I don't know, to me, I, I don't, dude, I don't think, I don't, I just don't think that you can beat Archie, you know, and what he's done just for the school and everything, but the reason I said Heartline was the same, like, dude, when when Day moves on, and I hope Coach, I love Coach Day, I don't know him personally like you do, but like, I, I think the guy, I think the world of the guy and the class that he has, but I hope when he moves on that Brian Hartline gets the shot, because that dude is a machine. Already moving and, on, uh, man.
3: I want to know how dude, often do you blow up Pantone's phone with questions? <laughs> oh, every day, dude.
1: <laughs>
3: every day.
2: Uh, <laughs> Pantone's my boy. I, I love that guy, and uh, but every day I, I text him, and uh, you know, how are we doing? Are we recruiting? Are we going to get this guy? Or he's one of the best the, there is. And I think he's the best. I think you know, just identifying talent and everything else. Uh, I mean, the old Ezekiel Elliott story, right? You know, when Urban told him, your, your job's on the line here, man. Why would I take a three-star running back over a five? And Mark said, all, all day long, man, all day long. And sure enough, look at him, you know, great well, player. Hey, it's, so. it's
0: been a minute since the Buckeyes have won a championship in Indianapolis. So might as well be you, Graham.
2: You got that right. <laughs> and I freaking had a suite last year because I buy a freaking Indy Sports Corp suite every year. And I had to sit in there and listen to the damn freaking Michigan fights on <laughs> Why did still you even go? Oh, you still went?
1: Cold uh, beer? Still, That's why. Cold I still beer.
2: I started to go because my, my freaking brother-in-law is a Michigan fan. And he shows up and he's got all his Wait stuff, a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And not only smokes. that, he...
1: So Thanksgiving dinner just got even more interesting. Not only do we have four screaming across the table at still naming his sponsors, sponsors during the, in the Thanksgiving prayer, He's the actual Thanksgiving Ricky prayer.
0: Yeah.
1: He's also, you also got to hear your brother-in-law talk smack about Jim Harbaugh.
2: Uh, oh, my time, gosh. Got to give him one year, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. God
3: bless you for doing that. You're the
1: best, son. I can't wait to see you on Thursday. Thanks for your time. Thanks. and uh, Thanks, guys. Go get a ring, big dog. Appreciate you.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Graham.
1: Thanks, guys. Oh my gosh, I have to. I have to get the invite to the uh, Force Ray Hall Thanksgiving Extravaganza. Uh, that as long as they have alcohol, because I would need it. I think. But what an absolute stud! I want so badly for that man to get an Indianapolis 500 championship. It would be. It would be the most popular indianapolis 500 champion in ages because he's beloved among his peers and the fans love him he has that pedigree and family lineage and you heard him say it his old man is an
3: indy 500 champion it would be so popular and he's just a great damn guy well and what so he referenced it so for people that don't know last year his tire literally just fell off after a pit stop but why he feels so confident that they were going to win is their pit strategy had them, had him one less pit stop than everybody else. So he just strategically, all he had to do was just finish and he was probably going to win. He was that close. I
1: just, I want it for him so bad because he's just, again, I was talking earlier in the podcast about these individuals that we had the blessing to cover and with whom we interact and they always give you time and they always give you vulnerability and candor. Graham's one of those guys. I'll never forget when I met him. First time I met him, the very first thing he asked me was about Ohio State football. He didn't give a damn about the race. He didn't care about anything that he. He just wanted to talk about Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes, and we've been thick as thieves ever since.
3: Great human being. Great. You know how you guys. You know how you guys were talking about how big uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is. I found a graphic. You could fit the Vatican City, Taj Mahal, Churchill Downs, Rose Bowl Stadium, Roman Coliseum, the White House, Liberty Island, and Yankee Stadium inside the track.
1: Yeah. It's just – it's (laughs) colossal. And it's one of those places – you know, we talked about this with Augusta National. When you drive through the tunnel into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you're with the Ghosts.
3: You and' driver bit of it. Uh, I wasn't there for a race, but we did Marty McGee live from the track. And the other thing that like the master is Augusta is this ho-hum town, you know, 50 weeks out of the year for you know Indianapolis Motor Speedway, everything but the month of May. It's Speedway, Indiana is this little town that just gets overtaken and it, it's the lifeblood.
1: He really said something that that bears repeating there. There's going to be three hundred fifty thousand people there on Sunday. The largest gathering since COVID. And it is, and and it's a it's a celebration of America, and it's all kinds. And I mean, in turn three, they got this place called the Snake Pit, where as the cars are racing around the racetrack during the Indianapolis Five Hundred, there's thousands of young kids on uh, illegal substances out in turn three at this thing they call the Snake Pit. At an EDM concert, it's
3: like Diplo's out there in
1: March. They don't even care that they
3: don't even know the race is going on. They're out there raving, man. Like cool people as are, hell. people are out there right now, probably in their RVs, getting drunk. Like people, I don't think people understand no that. I didn't realize it until I lived in Indiana. It's not just like Sunday. It's the month of May and all the things that are Carb Day and all these different things. That it's, I mean, it means a whole lot to that state and that city.
1: Super cool, man. Uh, really appreciate Graham taking the time, boys. That was a great time today. And I'm grateful for your friendship. Thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country, keeping our community safe. Grateful for our first responders, firemen, uh, EMTs that are saving lives every day, and the United States military, all branches. We are free. And we are so, so thankful for the opportunity to be free. Look, man, Memorial Day is so important. Memorial Day is the time when we remember those lost in battle. We remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. We remember those who died preserving our opportunity to walk out the front door every day and do and be whatever we want. Thank you so much to the families of the fallen. We appreciate your, your sacrifice and we'll never be able to articulate our gratitude. I've tried a thousand times on ESPN writing essays to to try to encapsulate what that is in foreign lands uh, dying so that we could be free, the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you guys so much. This is Marty Smith podcast. We try to do our best. It's a lot of rambling nonsense, but thank you guys for loving it. We have heard from so many of you. My Instagram DM every day has some note where somebody said that we gave them hope in a moment when they needed it, and that's cool for me. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy your Memorial Day. Celebrate America. Celebrate the fallen. Celebrate your barbecue. Celebrate your cold beer. And remember, have a great one.